music that exalts Jesus is always a blessing. Whatever it is, whatever kind of music, old or new. Tonight, Daniel chapter 7. Now, I fear that uh, some of us, including myself probably, started the uh, examination of the book of Daniel with an unreal expectation that all the way through Daniel it was going to be a restatement of Revelation. I may have led you to believe that and not given you enough information. What Daniel is all about is that the first six chapters, which we have behind us, are narratives of events. Daniel is telling us the story of events that happened during his lifetime. And that afforded me the opportunity to sermonize a little bit, and there wasn't too much prophecy in that except for chapter 2. But now the last six chapters of Daniel, and there is a division right down the middle of the book. The first six chapters are narratives of events. The last six chapters are prophecy. And in every one of these last six chapters, we will find ourselves walking all over the book of Revelation and seeing how the two fit together and amplify each other and seeing how one without the other does not really tell the whole story. Now, Daniel chapter 7 begins with a dream. Earlier in the book of Daniel, Daniel had listened to and interpreted the dreams and visions of two kings. But this time, Daniel dreams a dream and has a vision of his own, and he is thoroughly perplexed because he cannot understand the vision, just as the men for whom he interpreted had not been able to understand the dreams and the visions that they had. And so in this chapter, after the vision, the Lord sends Daniel help for understanding, and he explains to us what the Lord explained to him. Now, as this chapter opens, Daniel is still a highly honored man in Babylon and in the kingdom. However, he is 84 years old at least, and he is now retired. At a later date, he will come out of retirement. Daniel dates this vision in 541 B.C. Now, a thing that helps us understand Daniel is that like Revelation, Daniel is not chronological. Every chapter does not follow in a chronological order. Remember, Daniel organized this book, and he did a good job of it. He got all of the events out of the way in the early part of the book and then concentrates on the prophecy. But chapter 7, according to the date that Daniel gives, is earlier than either chapter 5 or chapter 6. Historically, he had this vision before chapter 5, which he dates in the third year of Belshazzar, this one he dates in the first year of Belshazzar, and chapter 6, which he dates after the downfall of Belshazzar, which was even later than that. And so now he has set backwards several years to tell us the vision that he had as it relates to the future. This chapter is closely related to Daniel chapter 2, at least the part of Daniel 2, which is the vision. It covers the same territory, the history of the world from the beginning of the Babylonian Empire until the coming of Jesus Christ. But there are some radical differences in the chapters and the way Daniel sees the things that Nebuchadnezzar saw. In chapter 2, history is pictured as a gigantic statue 
which has a head of gold and decreasing value of metal down to the bottom, to the feet, which are iron mixed with clay. For you see, Nebuchadnezzar was a natural man. He didn't know God at that time. And his vision of humanity centered on the glory of man's achievements. And you'll find that true when you read secular history. Secular history abounds with the praises of mankind and all of the wonderful things that man has accomplished. But when you read the sacred histories, you will find God focusing on other things. As we read the late stages of the Old Testament and the New Testament era, we don't read of the glory of Rome. We read of her excesses, her moral degeneracy, and her persecutions against the church. For you see, the standards of evaluation that man has are totally different from God. Now, Daniel sees these same four kingdoms that are pictured in the great statue as raving animals, one which devours the other until the fourth animal comes along, which shall again be the dominant world power at the end of time. And also, beginning in 7, as I said, we will see things revealed to Daniel that are totally consistent with the book of Revelation. Now, students of prophecy consider Daniel 7 as unique in all prophetic literature. It is the most clear statement of the future that occurs in the Old Testament, detailing the course and the end of history. And really, Daniel 7 is the key to understanding prophecy as it relates to the future. So let us consider the text of Daniel 7. First of all, in verses 1 through 8, the beasts appear. Running over it, Daniel dates the vision, and then it says in verse 1 that he wrote down a summary of it. He was looking by night, and he saw four great beasts coming up from the sea as the four winds of heaven were stirring the great sea. The first beast was a lion which had the wings of an eagle. He kept looking until later the wings were plucked. It was lifted from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a man, and given a human mind or heart. The second beast looked like a bear. It was laying down, raised up on one side with uh, three ribs sticking out of its mouth. And thus they said to it, Arise and devour much meat. Again he looked and sees a third beast. This one like a leopard, but on its back it had not two wings, but four. And it had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And then the fourth beast, the fourth beast is described thus, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the others, and it had ten horns. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boast. Now, the great sea is always used in prophecy to symbolize the Mediterranean Sea. The Middle East, the Mediterranean region, was the cradle of civilization. 
It was here that God created Adam and Eve and set them in the Garden of Eden. It was here that after they were expelled from the garden that they and their descendants spread out and began to populate the earth. It was here that the first government on the face of the earth arose and that the ancient empires of the Sumerians and others which are prehistory to us arose. And it was from this region of the Mediterranean that all four of the great world empires sprang up. Now, all of these empires either bordered or conquered the shores of the Mediterranean up until and including Rome who finally controlled both coasts of the Mediterranean all the way around their distance. Now, the four winds show God's ceaseless activity in the world. Now, the four beasts obviously are central to this vision. Let us consider what they mean. They mean the same thing as the progressive stages in the statue in chapter 2. The lion with wings was the Babylonian Empire. In fact, if you've read much ancient history or seen it in the history books, the winged lion was the official royal symbol of Babylon. And this also tells of her character, strong and mighty, iron-willed and able to conquer everything that stood in her way. But now Daniel, like in chapter 2 when he interpreted the vision for Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel sees the degeneration and the fall of Babylon. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 that the head of gold was Babylon and it would fall. Here we see that in the course of time, the wings were plucked from the back of the lion. It was changed from a lion, a lion heart, to the cowardly heart of a man, made to stand on its hind legs and lost its power. And then it gave way to the bear, which was also, and this was uh, before, this vision occurred before Persia conquered Babylon. But the bear was the symbol of Persia. As history proved out, it was their official symbol. And the bear devoured Babylon as is shown by the fact that three broken ribs are sticking out of the bear's mouth. Now, Persia, as described here, was cruel and strong and arbitrary in her application of conquest. And then came the four-winged leopard. Now, the four wings indicate an ability to fly or to move very rapidly. And you know how Alexander the Great rose from the ranks of the Grecian army after the death of his father, Philip of Macedon, consolidated Greece under his power for the first time in history that Greece was united and conquered the world in, the, in a record time. In, in fact, it's amazing that Alexander traveled around the world in that period of time, his, his part of the world, much less that he conquered it. And then in the prime of his glory at 33 years old, Alexander the Great collapsed and died. Now, we are told that this leopard had four heads. It is a fact of history, and this was also long after Daniel wrote, that upon the death of Alexander the Great and a brief attempt to hold the empire together, there began to be struggles between the various factions of his armies, 
And within 20 years after his death, there were four separate kingdoms that grew from his kingdom, each of them uh, headed by one of his generals. And Daniel saw the speed of the leopard Greece in her conquest and the fact that she split into four pieces after the death of Alexander. And then the main part of this chapter and the explanation center on the fourth beast, which is called uh, terrible and different and frightening, a beast with iron teeth, and as we shall see later in the chapter, bronze claws. Now, in John's vision of the Roman Empire at the end of time, John saw the same beast, but he described it a little more. Daniel said it was different than any of the others. John says that the beast had claws like a bear, teeth like a lion, and various things to show that Rome in her glory was made up of all the people she had conquered. Indeed, it was one of the great boasts of Rome, and their historians wrote it down, that they never destroyed a civilization. They conquered that civilization and assimilated the civilization into their empire, drawing from it the very best things that it had to offer. And the view of Rome's greatness, according to her own people, was the fact that they had not set out to destroy, but to consolidate the world and produce a society that had the best elements of everything that they found. And then we are told that this beast had ten horns. Now this is consistent with Revelation, describing how in the end times from the territory of the old Roman Empire, a ten-nation confederacy shall unite to rule the world. But then as he looked, an eleventh horn grew in the midst of the ten, plucked three of them out by the roots, and dominated. This is the Antichrist of the New Testament who shall arise from within the, the revived Roman Empire and shall take control and become the ruler of the one world government. And then in verses 9 to 12, here's what I have called the Ancient of Days. There are two successive visions here in 9 to 12 and then 13 and 14 which describe the Lord Jesus. Daniel writes, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. That is millions, thousands times thousands. And myriads upon myriads, that is tens of millions, were standing before him. The court sat and the other books were open. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the words came, which came from the horn. And I kept looking until this beast was slain, his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extinction of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. The Ancient of Days is a vision like the vision 
in Revelation chapter 4, the heavenly throne, which we saw when we studied Revelation. I believe this is a picture of the Lord Jesus reigning in his glory before the second coming, just the way Revelation 4 is a vision of the Lord Jesus reigning in his glory. It says thrones were set up. Actually, the Hebrew here says that thrones were cast down. And it may say that in the Bible you're holding. And that seems kind of strange. We talk about throwing a throne down. But you see, this was an oriental culture. And what the king sat on was a pile of pillows. And so when they would set up the throne room for the king or wherever he went and the king was going to sit and hold court and receive visitors, they threw down the pillows on the floor until they had enough and then the king sat down on them. So that's the picture here. It is the setting up of the throne room for an oriental king. The flames around the thrones symbolize the judgment, which, as this relates to prophecy, begin after the rapture with the terrors of the great tribulation. The picture here is Christ before the second coming. The next vision will show him at the second coming. Daniel sees the final end of the Antichrist his total and final destruction, consistent with Revelation where we are told that the beast, the false prophet, and the Antichrist were the first ones bound and thrown alive into the lake of fire to be tormented forever. And then in verses 14, 13 and 14, here is the sun presented. Now, it seems kind of strange we read here that the cloud, one coming uh, with the clouds of heaven and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This is Christ in his role as conqueror presented to himself in his role as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now, if you want verification of that, it says in verse 14, to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This is a close-up of the second coming. Again, back to the book of Revelation. Revelation 1, 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also who pierced him and all the nations of the earth shall wail because of him. His coming will be judgmental. It will be interventional in human history. It will be premillennial and it will be triumphant. He will have an eternal kingdom with unlimited power. And then in verses 15 to 22, here are the beasts explained, the explanation Daniel first gets a brief explanation, but not satisfied with that. He goes back and asks again, and further information is given to him. Now, in this explanation, the first three beasts are passed over lightly, and the focus is on the predominant beast of world history, the Roman Empire, which will reign again at the end of time. Daniel was appalled by the depth of wickedness that he saw here. Now, you know, Daniel had had the, the vision of Nebuchadnezzar revealed to him so that he could explain it. 
But now he sees the evil and the terror and the ungodliness of all the governments of men apart from God, and he is appalled by what he sees. Daniel asks further after a brief explanation and details which are totally consistent with Revelation chapter 13 are given to him. It sh he shows how the little horn will be the final and full incarnation of Satan, the Antichrist, and he shows the war that the Antichrist will make on the saints, the tribulation saints, before the coming of Christ. Now, in verses 23 to 28, a further and more detailed explanation of the fourth beast. I have called these verses the two reigns of Rome. Rome will be the only empire in the world which has ruled the world twice. Now the iron teeth seen here compared to the iron legs of the great statue seen in chapter 2. Let's read these verses. They're important. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom which will be different from all other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth and tread down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the others, and he will subdue three kings. And he will speak against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. This section describes the original Roman Empire and the Roman Empire of the last times when the ten-nation confederacy will arise from the territory of the Roman Empire and dominate the world. Subsequently, it will be taken over by one from within its ranks, the Antichrist. Now, the details of these six verses are given in Revelation chapters 14 through 17. Now, in verse 25, he mentions a time, times, and half a time. That is one year, plus two years, plus a half year, which equals three and a half years, which exa is exactly equivalent to the prophecy of John in Revelation 13, verse 5, where he prophesies the worst part of the tribulation to last 42 months. Now, the Antichrist is not named in the Bible until the book of 1 John by that name. But this individual is seen throughout all of prophecy. And there are many names for him. 
Isaiah calls him the Assyrian, which was a symbol of a vicious and wicked nation that was on the earth at that time. Daniel calls him by several names. Here he is called the little horn. He is called a king of fierce countenance. He is called the prince that shall come. He is called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He is called the willful king by Daniel. Now by the apostle Paul, he is called the man of sin, the man of perdition, and that wicked one. And by the apostle John, he is called the beast in Revelation and Antichrist in the book of 1 John. Now what I want you to notice as we realize that this vision covers the sweep of world history is that God tells us in this prophecy and throughout prophecy that as the end of time approaches, the attention of the world will be focused on the Middle East and the Far East. And is that not what is happening? Vietnam is in Cambodia. China is in Vietnam. Russia's all over the place. Iran is in a state of turmoil. The Middle East will not settle down exactly the way God said it. And beloved, it will never settle down until the end comes. It's not going to happen as much as I would like to see it happen. And if God wills for this nation that we live in to continue in the style of life to which she has grown accustomed, we'd better build a pipeline to Mexico. That's all there is to it. Because it will not get better until the end comes. And when it comes after the rapture of the church... The Antichrist will rule shortly, then he will be judged and damned when Christ begins his reign. Evil will continue only as long as God allows it, and that's the only comfort we have. But it's a valid comfort. Evil will run its course, but when God says that's it, that's it. When his mercy has been fully extended then the end will come. We need to remember that the world will never be free from strife, bloodshed, pestilence, and death until the glorious morning dawns when we go to be with the Lord. Till then, it will be worse and worse. John in his letters, Paul in his epistles, tell us that as the end draws near, there will be spiritual warfare on every front and that evil will increase within the church until the rapture. And after the rapture, now listen to this carefully, after the rapture, all of the differences that separate Christian denominations and religions are going to vanish. And there's going to be a one world church now this may not, you think about this because it may not seem too reasonable, but it's the most reasonable thing in the world. The reason there is not total unity among Christians today is because of the Holy Spirit. Because believe it or not, if God is going to have unity, He's going to have it on the basis of His Word and nothing else. 
In fact, we are told that Satan will gain control of the church and then it will be unified. Beloved, there are going to be plenty of people left in the pews when the rapture comes. And then the churches will have peace. Things will never be right until they are put right by judgment. And we must preach and teach and witness to the truth of the gospel with the days that we have left in order to deliver as many as possible from the judgment to come. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. and Lord, I thank you that all it takes is for us to expose ourselves to your word and it exposes the folly of our human wisdom. Father, it's frightening to realize that this world is going the way of all flesh and that only those who trust you are going to be preserved. I pray that we might be found faithful adding to that number with every day you give us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.